So I'm going to begin our teaching time this morning by asking you a question that's going to seem like it's a joke, okay? It's not, but you'll see what I mean in a moment here. So here's the question. What do pandemic mandates, trucker convoys, and Donald Trump have in common? Told you, there's some awkward laughing here, I know. Uh, I told you, it sounded like there should be a punchline to this, and I really don't have a punchline, okay? Some of you can spend some time figuring that out later. If it's appropriate, you can share that with me. If not, you can still share it with me. Um, but here we've got, our, we've got three things or people that have generated some, pretty strong generated some pretty strong opinions in folks over the last couple of years, haven't we? You know, in fact, these are three examples that illustrate just how polarized and how divided we are as a society. That these are issues that can cause us to move away from some people and find ourselves gravitating towards others whose experiences and whose thoughts and opinions are kind of just like ours. We live in a divided and a polarized society. And so before we go much further this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something, okay? I'm going to ask you to turn to the person sitting next to you. You don't have to go too far with this, okay? And I would like you to brainstorm just a couple other, uh, other hot-button topics that could easily put us at odds with each other. You don't have to discuss them. You don't have to state your opinion, okay? This is not the point. The gloves are not coming off, okay? We're doing this for two minutes, but let's just brainstorm with the people sitting around us. What are, what are some, uh, some of the things that we've observed people having strong opinions about that, could ha that have the potential to put, uh, putting us at odds with other people? So we're going to just try this for two minutes. All right, let's give it a go. All righty, folks, if I can have your attention back up here. Everything looks like it's pretty civil still, so that's good. It's good. The parking lot's out there. If we have to go have further conversations, we can do that after church. Uh, you know, okay, so here's my example from this past week. Okay? On Monday night, there was a football game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills. And during the first quarter of play, a player by the name of Damar Hamlin... Uh, suddenly collapsed on the field, and he had to receive CPR uh, and was take later take, and taken to hospital. Later, we found out that he'd suffered from a cardiac arrest on the field. He's 24 years old. And where this story connects with what we're talking about this morning is it didn't take long. In fact, it took minutes for people online to be start posting that the reason behind this tragedy with this young man currently fighting for his life what it had to do with his, with his COVID vaccination status. That the reason why this happened was because he was vaccinated. So again, here we have someone fighting for their life, and it took minutes for this young man's situation to become about an issue that divides people. You know, apparently some people didn't have enough time to experience compassion and concern, they immediately jumped into debating their position. And I think that this lack of humanity illustrates how we're li living in increasingly polarized and in increasingly polarized and divided society and world. Now, the problem is not that we have opinions about what's going on in our world, not at all, but it's how we relate to one another in the process, in this process. And what seems to be happening is that we can find ourselves hunkering down with people who are like us and demonizing the people who are not. And when we do this, two things are happening. First, we can find ourselves not honoring people like we ought to. And second, what we're doing is we're cutting ourselves off from the potential, potential insights and expertise and experiences of others that we could really benefit from. 
You know, it's been said that productive things happen in the middle. They don't happen in the extremes where we tend to be finding ourselves moving towards. And while this pattern of polarization and division seems to be normal in our society, it shouldn't be normal for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and it shouldn't be normal for us as a church community. Rather, if we're paying attention to what Jesus has to say, we see that his prayer for his followers is quite the opposite. Jesus in John 17 prays this. He says, My prayer is that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved, loved them even as you have loved me. You know, unity is Jesus' prayer for people like us, for his followers, because it is through unity that, that we will be recognized as being a part of God's mission of love to our world. Not what we're against, not our theological positions, but unity and love. And this cultural trend of, of polarization and, and division is a threat to this mission. It really is. And nothing Jesus-like is going to come from this trend. But again, we recognize that there seems to be no shortage of issues or events or people that have the potential to cause division in our relationships. In fact, my guess is over the past few years, we each have had the experience where there, there are people in our lives who at one point we were rather close to, and how they have responded to the things that have happened to us over the last couple of years have caused us to say, I don't know if we can still be friends. And they're probably looking at us the same way and thinking, you're not who I thought you were. And we aren't sure if there's a path forward for that relationship to go back to what it once was. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this. And we are going to try to make it as practical as we can in terms of the relationships that we have, it, it, the relationships that are in our lives, and in terms of our relationships that we have with one, in, with one another here, or with our families, or with our neighbors. You know, unity is a really great idea, but uh, what does that look like in practice? We're going to try our best to keep it grounded in practice over the next couple weeks. And to help guide us in this is we're going to use the idea of shalom, or peace that we find in Scripture, to guide our reflections, because, and this is our big idea for this morning, you know, our experience of shalom will, help, will shape how we engage our relationships and can help us discern how we navigate these polarized times. And so this morning will be a bit of an overview. It'll be kind of the beginning of where we're going to go over the next couple weeks. And, and we're going to get into some specifics over the next couple weeks. But today we're going to talk about shalom. And so perhaps the place to start is, what is shalom? Well, shalom is a Hebrew term that gets translated as peace in the Old Testament. And it's one of the key words and images that is used for salvation in the Bible. And it is most commonly in Hebrew used to, to refer to a person being uninjured, safe, whole, and sound. So it's got the sense of like well-being and health that's attached to it. In the New Testament, the word that we read as peace comes from a Greek word that's about the conditions of law that results in blessing or prosperity. And while it can mean peaceful conduct towards somebody else, as in, I'm not going to cause you harm, like shalom, the, the way that the New Testament authors use the word peace is in an all-encompassing way to describe a vision of human flourishing with an emphasis on God's saving work through Jesus. So there's this salvation element to it. And so we can say that, that shalom or peace is not just an idea but it's about our complete well-being, and it's about our relationships being put right. And so this morning, we're going to look at how shalom is experienced in three key relationships. And so first, you know, most fundamentally, shalom is about our reconciliation with God. 
It's about a reconciliation with God. That's the most fundamental understanding of it. And in a moment, I'm going to read from Psalm 85, the second half of Psalm 85, but I want to preface this reading by highlighting a couple, uh, some things about the language that's used, especially in the first part that we're not going to read this morning. You can look that up yourself if you'd like. Uh, but the opening verses, in the opening verses, we hear about God's forgiveness. We hear about God's restoration. We hear about how God sets aside his anger. In other words, there seems to be a reason why God might not be happy with his people. That there was something wrong that needed to be made right. And this points us to the fact that sin disrupts our ability to have peace with God. Sin disrupts what we call shalom. But then there's a pivot in verse 8, and that's where we're going to begin reading. When the psalmist says that he will listen to what the Lord says, and he talks about salvation, he talks about God's love, and he talks about God's faithfulness. And so Psalm 85, starting at verse 8. I will listen to what, the, what, God, uh, sorry, what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness will, goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. You know, in, in these verses, we get this sense that God's peace is all-encompassing. It's something that, 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 is, it, it, that takes over all of our lives. It involves the harvest, it involves relationships, it involves our relationship with God and others. Um, and the Bible talks about how sin results in a loss of shalom. But it starts to point to a time, and this shows up in this passage too, it points to a time when God would bring a perfect sense of peace, a perfect sense of wholeness to our lives. And we celebrated this at Christmas. You know, at Christmas, we, we talked about, or we, we read, as we read through the Christmas story, we, we read that how the angels tell the shepherds about the birth of Jesus, and, that he, and, they, and the story is that, that he will be the one to bring peace to earth. And as we discussed we, a few weeks ago during the Advent series, we talked about how Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the bringer of peace. He is God coming to bring his peace to be experienced. The Apostle Paul in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6 describes the good news of Jesus as being the gospel of peace. You know, it seems that, that peace or shalom is a defining element of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to accomplish. And what Jesus came to accomplish is making reconciliation possible between people like us and God. See, because of Jesus, our sin no longer gets in the way of us experiencing the life and love of God. But Jesus has dealt with it. And Jesus dealt with it because we couldn't do that on our own. But admitting that we are wrong isn't easy, easy is it? In fact, if you're like me, perhaps this little comic will resonate. Maybe it hits a little bit close to home. Here she is saying, the last time I was wrong was August in 1958. I think it was a Monday. You know, I don't think it should be true, but there's something about the phrase, I was wrong, that feels like weakness to me. Maybe it feels like weakness to you as well. It makes me feel vulnerable. It makes me feel maybe even a little bit dumb. It makes me feel afraid. 
To the point that I can, I, I can think about times where I've spent a whole lot of time and energy trying to avoid saying the words, I am wrong or I was wrong. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, a key part of our story is acknowledging that we don't have it figured out. That we aren't perfect, that we have been wrong, that we're often wrong and that we need help. That namely, because of our sin, we have been separated from God's love and we're unable, we're unable to do anything about that. Rather, we needed Jesus. We need Jesus to restore our relationship with God and to bring God's peace into our lives because we don't have what it takes to do that on our own. And if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, that's a part of your story. That's a part of our story. Now, the temptation when we talk about polarization and division is that we want to point the finger at other people. But the reality is that we each have a role to play in what's going on in our society. And as followers of Jesus, one of the things that ought to shape how we engage the world is the fact that we needed Jesus to come to us to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And we ought to allow that reality to become a part of how we understand ourselves and help us understand our world. And I don't mean that we should be walking around thinking, man, I'm a terrible person, and just kind of like walking around thinking, thinking those sort of thoughts. But rather, when we recognize that we aren't perfect, when we recognize that we needed Jesus' help, that awareness instills in us, has the ability to instill in us humility that helps us engage the things that, that seem divisive, it helps us engage those things differently. I mean, after all, maybe we can admit that our perspectives aren't flawless. Maybe there are things that we can learn from people who think differently than we do. Maybe, just maybe, we don't need to have an opinion on everything. See, humility opens us up to new possibilities. Now, often when we think about peace, we default to thinking about war. And while shalom can and does, you know, speak to the ending of hostilities of war, it's not just, shalom is not just about uh, warring nations. Rather, shalom is about our daily relationships, and that's our second point this morning. And this includes our family, it includes our friends, it includes our co-workers, it involves the person serving us coffee in the morning, it involves the Walmart greeter, it involves the person that we pass on the street. Shalom touches on all of these relationships. It includes having socially just relationships between individuals and classes of people. And if we were to read through the prophets, we would realize that, that there's this insistence that unless there is an end to oppression and greed and violence, then there can't be peace, there can't be shalom. And in the New Testament, we see, we see this, uh, this emphasis on, on our daily relationships expressed um, in, in, in Colossians chapter 3. That, and it, it speaks to the fact that our peace, the peace that we, we receive from Jesus, should flow into our relationships with others. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them to all together in perfect unity. There's that word unity again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. 
You know, the peace of Jesus, which is, which is to oversee and govern the lives of, of those of us who are followers of Jesus, that, that peace gives the resources to maintain love and unity with others through the continual practices of forgiveness and patience, and, and that, that is shalom. And next week, we're going to explore Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus is our peace. And because Jesus is our peace, gone are the barriers that seem to naturally divide us from one another. From one another. See, an aspect of shalom is that our interactions with, with other people are not characterized by the common us versus them mentalities that seem to become normal in our society. Because of Jesus, and we experiencing Jesus' peace, those relationships can be and should be different. Let me show you a, another cartoon, apparently, this morning. I apparently have a cartoon thing going on. Here we have a caricature of our prime minister. Now, one of the characteristics of a caricature is that it's purp it purposely exaggerates some features. And in this case, what's exaggerated is uh, the smile of our prime minister. And usually this is done to make a point. Um, now, as a quick aside, I chose this picture, not for whatever the point is that they're trying to make, but because the other options were either rude or so politically charged that I didn't want to dare show them at church. Um, and this, this, I think, is helpful, though, because it, it, it helps, under, helps us understand that Mr. Trudeau here um, is one person who seems to generate some strong responses from some people. Maybe his name came up as you were discussing things earlier. I don't know. You know, the thing is that if we're not careful, we can easily find ourselves creating caricatures of others. And the temptation is for us to reduce people to a single issue, to a position that they might have, that thing that they said that one time, or an opinion that we don't agree with, or something that they posted on social media. We can reduce them to a singular thing. And the result can be that our words, our actions, our attitudes, in our words, our actions, our attitudes, that we are not loving them like we ought. And what we find ourselves doing is we can find ourselves forgetting that each person is created in God's image and he loves them dearly. And he has hopes and dreams for them just like he has hopes and dreams for each of us. And instead, what we can find ourselves doing is justifying pulling back. We can find ourselves harboring bitterness and even justifying the poor treatment of somebody else because they aren't like us. Shalom invites us to do better with the people we interact with on a daily basis. Now, so far, we've been talking about shalom in terms of our peace and our relationships with others, and I'm including our relationship with God in that. But what about us? What about ourselves here? And our last point this morning is that shalom is something that we internalize for us. Psalm, chapter, uh, it's Psalm 4 verse 8 describes an inner security that results in rest for those who trust in the Lord. Psalm 4, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. In Isaiah 32, it talks about how God's righteousness will bring a peace that is characterized by confidence. And this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. And if we were to flip over to the New Testament and read Philippians chapter 4, uh, we would read about how God's peace protects us against anxiety, against difficulties and sorrow, and, and God's peace makes it so that we can be content in any circumstance. 
Now, as a bit of an aside here, I, I want to be careful not to belittle the reality that for some of us, we have some fairly significant and, and um, real mental health concerns that, that we deal with. Um, and because of our experiences like anxiety and depression are real, and they are complicated and complex, um, they can't be res- resolved by just saying, hey, you should just pray more. In fact, responses like that can do a fair amount of damage. Overly simplistic responses to complicated things rarely work out. And so I want to say I'm trying to avoid doing that this morning and what we're talking about. As we reflect on our experience with Jesus, we recognize that that one of the things that Jesus brings to us is peace in our inner lives. Jesus brings peace to to what's going on inside of us, to our lives in a personal sense. So there's a sense of calmness and confidence and security in the midst of all the stuff that we've got going on, whether it's big or small. And this is peace is something that the Holy Spirit grows in us as Jesus' followers. And this peace is based on the fact that Jesus, uh, that's the, who's the Prince of Peace, is always with us. And so here's maybe a thought exercise that we can try, we can try out. You know, the next time we find ourselves having big emotions or reactions to one of these issues or people that we've talked about or maybe something else this week, let's ask ourselves how we are doing internally. Are we feeling threatened? Are we feeling scared or fearful? Are we feeling insecure? Do we feel like the ground underneath us is is shifting? Do we feel unstable? You know, here's something that I I know about myself. You know, when I'm feeling anxious or insecure or I'm feeling afraid, my reactions aren't what I would hope they would be. You know, they tend to be out of proportion. You know, I, I don't see things clearly. I tend to be more irritable and, I, and capable of lashing out. And you kind of get this because I'm sure you have this experience as well too. You know, as we reflect on how we engage in a polarized society, we ought to recognize that our inner lives matter and will shape how we respond and react to the things going on around us. We need to experience the shalom of Jesus at the deepest levels of who we are. And so while on the one hand, prayer and scripture reading can be an overly simplistic answer to some rather complicated things, they are things that are a part of internalizing, of how God works to internalize his shalom and peace. That these are practices that the Holy Spirit can use to grow God's peace in us. All right, so... This morning, like I said when we started, there's an introduction to where we want to go over the next couple weeks. And so we've kind of been flying a little bit here and maybe haven't gotten quite as practical as some of us are hoping. Um, But before I want to wrap up, I want to close this with this one final thought. And that is, shalom isn't about them, as in somebody else. This morning we're talking about, about shalom being about us. You know, when we start talking about the problems going on in our society, the temptation can be to begin starting, start to point fingers, can't it? You know, that those are the people who are causing division, that those are the people whose attitudes needs to change. And we might, start, we might be finding ourselves thinking about a list of people that we hope will listen to the sermon series, or, or we, we're going to pass, this, pass the podcast or the video too. We might be creating a list of people. They need to hear this. Let's not do that this morning. This is about us. And let's recognize that the work that each of us need to do to experience and practice shalom and to share that with other people. The Apostle Paul says this, He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
You know, Paul is telling Jesus' followers about how they've been giving a, given a mission. And their mission is the message of reconciliation. That is to bring God's message of peace to the world. And at the time that, that Paul wrote this, I'm sure it sounded futile. I mean, the church was this tiny minority in this great big giant uh, uh, like empire. What, what could they actually do? And not only that, but they were increasingly being viewed as a threat, and the empire was beginning to do whatever they could to stomp them out. And so to walk around and say, you're the problem, you're the problem, you need to change, and they just point fingers, that wouldn't have gone over very well. Instead, it was their experience and practice of shalom that stood out and eventually took over the known world. And so for those of us who claim to follow Jesus, shalom begins with us. In our hearts, in our homes, with our families, with our friends, the interactions that we have with people at school or at work or online, shalom begins with us. And just imagine the difference that shalom would make. What kind of change could happen in our world if we started to practice that starting with us?